So a, a medical device, it is very broadly defined, right? So we'll find many things. Like I, I joke sometimes with clients, everything, you know, is a medical device, but it's not, right? So there, that what happens often is products get kind of hot, right? You get like a new product category. They get really kind of popular. You start seeing a lot pop up. The FDA will, you know, kind of take their time no, and then everyone will get... And then everybody gets a warning letter, you know, at once. Making a change in healthcare isn't easy. It requires the collaboration of many stakeholders. We need researchers, founders, and policymakers to come together. And that's what Delta is all about. Delta is all about interviewing people who make a significant difference in the healthcare system. One of the key regulators of healthcare in the U.S. is the FDA. Any startup that brings a medical device to the market needs to obtain FDA approval. You'll be surprised by today's episode because the definition of a medical device is very broad. It's essential to understand FDA regulations for medical devices. Today, we have attorney Catherine Giannamore as our guest. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode. My name is Rupert. I'm your host, Delta. In Delta, we interview researchers, thinkers. We interview startup founders, doers, and also we interview policymakers and people who regulate how medicine is practiced. And one of the most important parts that regulate how medicine is practiced in the U.S. is FDA. Let's say you are a startup, you have a medical device, and you want to bring it to life. You want to understand how to navigate the FDA regulations of medical devices. And for that, we have a very special guest, attorney Catherine Gianmore. Welcome. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much. So, um, attorney Catherine, she is a seasoned legal professional who has dedicated her career to helping individuals and organizations to achieve compliance with federal laws and regulations, especially within the FDA-regulated industry. She has a focus on the food and drug law. Catherine provides a wide range of regulatory services, including reviews, label assessment, guidance on marketing materials. Her expertise extends across various sectors, including food, dietary supplements, cosmetics, and over-the-counter drugs. Her journey in the field of food and drug law began with, during her time in law school, where she had the unique opportunity to clerk and work for a prominent law firm in downtown Miami. It was there where she honed her skills and developed a deep understanding of the intricacies of the FDA regulations. Her passion for helping clients achieve regulatory compliance eventually led her to establish her own firm. She is now a founding partner of the media Shihade Gian Moore, PLLC, where she heads the food and drug practice and oversees other key areas within the firm. Throughout her career, Catherine has been dedicated to assisting startups, doctors, and diverse range of clients in navigating the complex landscape of FDA regulations. Her deep knowledge and experience in the field make her a perfect guest for today's episode. In today's discussion, we're going to talk about the intricacies of FDA approval for a medical device, shedding a light on the crucial steps and considerations that startups and healthcare professionals need to understand. Whether you are a startup founder or you are looking to bring a medical device to market or you are a health executive seeking to, caliber, to collaborate with innovators, this episode is for you. So without further ado, let's dive into the world of FDA regulations and medical devices with the expert herself, Attorney Catherine. Welcome to the episode. Thank you, Rupin. Thank you so much for joining me today. So let's start by talking about medical devices. So what is the definition of medical device? Can I define anything that I use in medicine as a medical device? Or are there, are there any specific definitions that a medical device should fall under to be known as medical device as the FDA? Okay. So a, a medical device, it is very broadly defined, right? So we'll find many things. Like I, I joke sometimes with clients, everything, you know, is a medical device, but it's not, right? So there, there is a specific definition, but, it, but you'll see, you know, from the definition, it is very broad. I'm going to read parts of it. It's it's long, uh, but I'll you know you'll you'll kind of get the gist, and then we'll we'll break it down. So it's it's defined under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, like 
like everything. Um, uh, and it's, it's an instrument, apparatus, implement, machine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It kind of goes on and gives many types of examples um, that are non-exclusive examples, of course, um, that are either uh, recognized in the official national formulary, uh, USP, um, intended for use in the diagnosis of disease or other conditions in man, uh, cure, mitigation, treatment, or prevention, um, or intended to affect the structure or function of the body. Um, so as you can see, it sounds like, like a lot of things. So it's kind of breaking those things down. Um, you know, you, you have the kind of two major ways that something would be considered a, a device, right? So it's either diagnosis, cure, mitigation, you know, something to do with, with disease or condition, uh, which is very broadly. Very broad, yeah, also. I agree. Right, so like sometimes people will get surprised because they'll have something like, you know, uh, I tell them like a headache is, is enough, you know what I mean? So it's anything that you can kind of imagine if it's like not the norm every day, feeling perfect, that's, that would be enough because sometimes what will happen is you know, the FDA will, will say something like uh, symptoms of a condition would be enough to trigger this, this kind of, uh, you know, diagnosis, the definition, exactly. Um, so that's one on one hand, right? And then the other is the affect the structure or function. So that's the other thing I, I see a lot is still, you know, you'll get a client and they'll say, you know, but we're not actually trying to cure anything or treat anything, but, uh, you know, it could be something like um, one, one that was coming up a lot in this kind of area was the dermal roller type product. Hmm. At first, you know, the, it was kind of questionable whether it was something that the FDA regulated or not, because a lot of the companies were saying, well, this isn't a medical device. This is intended to be cosmetic. It's just rolled on the skin. But some of them, you know, have needles and they're going kind of deeper. And then they were making claims like, for example, tattoo removal, uh, scar revision. When they were making those, those types of claims and, and they have that intended use, then it became very clear that the product was uh, something that met the definition of a medical device. Uh, because it was intended to affect the structure or function then of the of the skin, right? So um, wow, very interesting. So like yeah. I, I feel like the FDA <laughs> will jump in to increase to widen the definition, so they they will have more regulations. Like I never thought about that. That's very surprising. Y yes, and that is one thing that that I caution clients with sometimes is that you know. Obviously, you want to know what the what the product is, but also being careful with what you're saying about it, because sometimes maybe they don't intend, maybe they don't want the product to be a medical device. They don't intend for it to, or they do, you know, and you want to be very aware, you know, of what, what you're really, what, it, not just what it does itself, you know, because there is that objective aspect of it, but then also this component of what are you saying it does you know how are you marketing it um because really that's how the fda a big part of how the fda will will determine how the product is actually classified um and what their role is gotcha so it's not um, only the product it's also about the claims that you use in your marketing exactly here if the FDA, wow, so like the marketing part also can affect if your device will go through FDA regulations or not. The marketing part is a big part, right? Because it's easy for them to go on the internet and, you know, just look and see what's there uh, or what you're saying about it and immediately say, okay, this meets the definition, you know, without hmm. having to you know, get into this, well, what does the product actually do? You know, is it making these changes? You know, that can be a much harder question, right? Especially if we're talking about like law enforcement, you know, and their kind of role uh, in, in this. But if you're, 
making those kinds of statements very, very easy, right? But that isn't to say, like, I have had situations where, you know, you have a product that so clearly, you know, the FDA says, this is a medical device. So even if you don't say anything, like, for example, going back to dermal roller type products, a lot of companies, when the FDA started kind of piling on, you know, this is probably, I don't know, maybe like around 2016, something like that. Everybody started getting, you know, let me go back a little bit. That what happens often is products get kind of hot, right? You get like a new product category. They get really kind of popular. You start seeing a lot pop up. The FDA will, you know, kind of take their time, and then everyone will, get, and then everybody gets a warning letter, you know, at once. So you'll see a, a bunch of uh, companies like within one month, and they're in the same industry, and it's this kind of new hot thing. That happens every once in a while. You know, you have regular enforcement, but you see these kinds of of things happen. So then a lot of companies are saying, okay, well, I just won't say that it it is for scar revision, or I won't say like these kinds of things, and we'll just keep continuing. The the problem is the FDA said, you know, is saying, well, the thing is the actual device, the product does that you know, because it reaches so deep into the skin, it's going above the surface layer and it actually, you know, it goes deeper because it's doing that. So we believe just based on the product alone, it, it has to be a medical device. So there, there is that kind of component too, right? So it's, it's how those things interact. So one of the, the kind of big things that, that I do is like, if someone comes with a medical device, it usually first involves the question of like, what is this, right? Uh, is this a medical device? You know, does it meet the definition? If so, how is it classified? Uh, what are the, the kind of steps? Because usually the, they'll come with the question of, okay, I want to get this approved. What do I do? That's a very difficult question because of the way medical devices are regulated, right? So it's such a wide range yeah. uh, and there's different pathways, right? And because the definition is so large and, and could be things that are really like, there's no risk, you know, you have like band-aids, um, you know, that, I mean, you would think they're, they're no risk or a very low risk, right? And then you obviously have uh, things that are implanted, you know, that, that yeah, fair do pose a serious risk. Um, and, and so it's, it's figuring out kind of those basic things. Does it meet the basic definition? And if so, like where, where does it fall? Which, which, and and that's our second point, but like now, even like in the beginning, what I'm hearing is it's much more efficient to someone to come and talk to you early in their journey than going and marketing something and then getting, um, a notice from the FDA that, hey, like you're marketing this, but like you need approval. So it's much more efficient. And like, I think money saving to come and talk to you early before doing anything, um, before jumping to the market, first understanding the question, is it a medical device or no? Because like, it looks like the definition is very broad and everything yeah. can be and- FDA regulated. Like, uh... All right. So yeah. what and- are the... Sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say on the on the point of coming early, the, the thing too that, that can be helpful is like um, sometimes you'll have something where uh, maybe it, it is regulated one way with certain claims, but it's regulated another way without, right? So maybe you kind of, a company takes a phase approach, you know, for example, where they can start with a very simple version and then while they obtain clearance for the more complicated things with the claims, you know, that sometimes could be, you know, it, it all depends. These things are very factually specific, right? But that's, that's why I like to do this kind of introductory type thing when I work with people is kind of just figuring out, like, what are the specifics of your device? You know, what, what is this? How is it regulated? Are there options, you know? If you change something very small, is it something different? I've had clients come with 
uh, I sometimes I deal with enforcement stuff. I've had uh, <laughs> things come where they've been um, detained, you know, by the FDA when they're being imported. Wow. And where we've said like, you know, uh, no, we don't think you regulate this. And, you know, they, you know, changed a few things in the, in the pamphlet and now it's not regulated by them. You know, there's very, and that, that can happen, you know, so it's kind of, um, it's good to know early versus later because I have had the reverse happen too, where I've had, you know, people come later, they have everything ready to go. They're ready to sell the product. They're like, okay, we're ready to register. And it's like, there's no existing kind of category for this. So it's not such an easy cut dry thing, you know, this, or it's very clear that it needs more than registration listing, you know, and it's like, you don't want to be too far down the road where you can't make some of the decisions, you know, about, about the product and, you know, cost benefit analysis type stuff. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, because like I do attend also like lots of uh, startups who are pitching their devices or their solution. And like, I do hear a lot that the phrase that you mentioned, currently we don't need FDA approval, but in the future, we are planning to like get one. And also it depends, I think, on the cost, where they are, the startup, where where they are. Um, also like um, maybe they want to test the market or no. So I think those are very... Mm-hmm. Uh, important parts and then you touched uh, earlier on the classes different classes of medical devices so let's say i'm a startup i want i'm in the healthcare space like what are the important classes and how the fda thinks about them um i should be aware of okay so there's there's generally three uh classes you know so you have class one lowest risk like i mentioned like a band-aid um, a lot of dental devices, you know, things that, um, that the FDA doesn't believe they really need to, to weigh in on much because there's not so much risk. Uh, these, sometimes there's a, a misconception that these types of products maybe aren't regulated, right? Uh, they are still regulated. They are required to be listed with the FDA. So, they need to be, you know, manufactured at a registered facility. The manufacturer has to list them. If you're an importer, you have to have an initial importer registration. This also has a fee. You know, there's all these, <laughs> there's still steps involved, you know. things Even you for class in. one low risk. Even for class one low risk, yes. So, and, and then there's still uh, compliant labeling, you know. So there still are concerns you know there's still compliance concerns and and steps you need to take to make sure you're compliant um you know you might have uh good manufacturing practices type things there could be um you know uh, maybe reporting kind of different things could apply so there there still could be a lot of things that that apply to you even if it's class one really simple um and then you know you have class two which is I would say like most devices, it's hard to say what, what that is, right? But um, I would say most most things that I deal with at least would, would be class one or class two. Uh, class two would be, you know, where you hear about often the 510K process. And that's kind of the general, most common process that, that would apply, right? And, and that really involves uh, comparing your device to a legally marketed predicate device. Mm-hmm. So kind of piggybacking off of something else that is there and demonstrating why any difference between yours and theirs doesn't create uh, more risk. Uh, and, you know, so is, is at least as safe and effective as, as that other thing. Um, and that's, that's a really kind of watered down way to, to explain it. Right. But um that's that's that and then so that's a you know the most common i would say like type of submission and even after there's clearance they still also have to have registration and listing so it's like each kind of step it's like you need the things of the step before it almost but then you know a little bit more um and then with with that obviously since you're comparing it to something else there has to be something else so like 
what if there is no something else? Well, what if like I? Yeah, if there's no something else, so then it depends on uh, a couple of, a couple of different routes could be could work. So I've seen um, and worked on matters where there were like maybe the use of multiple predicates. So like for this purpose of the device, there's this, and this purpose of the device, there's this, and really our device is just combining them. So that's possible. Okay. If if it's truly novel, uh, then that could be a good fit for the de novo process, which I would say like if, you know, generally speaking is kind of more similar to that 510K than, mm -hmm. you know, PMA, which would be like full scale approval, like the equivalent of new drug approval in the device, device. world. Uh-huh, but, um, but, instead of you know comparing yourself you're you're letting them know it's like there's nothing like us but we we don't uh pose the same kind of risk that something in the pma category would because before that and uh, maybe like 10 years ago or so something something around them uh, they didn't have this process right so mm -hmm. that would be the solution which would be like if you couldn't do a 510k because nothing was like yours and you couldn't use multiple predicates then you have to do a pma but it didn't make sense you know um because obviously if you're not posing like those kinds of of risks then you probably wouldn't need like you know human clinical trials these kinds of things uh and you know the the millions of dollar pathway you know that exactly that, yeah that's typical for you know of those types of devices so um so that's one um you know there are these other kinds of of uh pathways that would be in this kind of middle range right so there's a, a humanitarian device exemption you know these types of things like i almost don't want to waste time talking about them because they're so we will talk about them, like in basic, we'll cover them basic. You know, yeah. they're, they're just, they're, they're, they're used in just these very, very special kind of situations. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, the FDA is smart, you know, they're, they're, I know. So, <laughs> that's know, why we're doing this. You, you'll, you'll get like, especially when you get to dealing with devices, you know, they'll have review panels and, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're made up of scientists and they, they understand the products and, you know, that they'll have a panel that's for these specific types of devices, you know, and they'll, they'll really understand, you know, what you're doing. So if you're trying to kind of say like, uh, you know, we have a device and we want to do it, you know, bring it under this exemption, but really you're just kind of trying to kind of get around yeah because if you take yeah. exemptions like they will feel okay so there is something we should watch and they will tell you no no there is no exemption yeah they they want them to be used you know the the humanitarian especially like exemptions to be used in a situation you know where it's where it's helping an orphan disease so affects hmm. i think it's four thousand people or less uh, uh in the united states it's, mm -hmm. it's very small, right? So that's that's why I said it's these types of situations are are really few and far between, and intended where you know otherwise it, it wouldn't be economically sound for a company to be developing a, a device that treats you know whatever it is. Gotcha. Um, so. So, so yeah, when it comes to that, class two, it's the most common category. I, 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 I'm hearing you. So it's either we compare the device to other devices or we compare the purpose of the device with the purpose of other devices. The, so it would be, you'd be comparing it on the intended use and the technology. So both, gotcha. both things you have to compare. Um, and the good thing is that at least with the FDA, you know, they have various databases. You can find, uh, it's, you know, when kind of figuring out what something is, you know, starting with 
the regulations and the product codes, you know, then you can go in and find all recent clearances that have that product code. So then you could start kind of seeing, okay, what, what are the features of these devices and how is mine different? And that's where you kind of find the, the wrinkle, right? Uh, exactly. I think I had mentioned this to you before that every, you know, if there is no kind of wrinkle or interesting thing, then a company wouldn't be bringing out. A, a exactly. That's what I was going right? to say. That's a great way also like, to find a good competition, right? Like one of the most important slides in the startup pitch is competition. That's what makes you different from the competition. So it's public knowledge. Like if the FDA already proved that, you can just go and find in the FDA website. Yeah, you can, you can find and you can see like some of those details that you would need to be comparing to. Um, and then you could see like, you know, does it make sense to use, you know, whatever as a predicate or is this going to create an issue? And the, the good thing is if you kind of can identify those, whatever those wrinkles are, then uh, early on, then it can be a basis of like, okay, uh, maybe a pre-submission meeting with the FDA makes sense or, you know, uh, um, you can either do it as like a meeting or submitting, uh, you know, questions where, where that specific uh, panel will, you know, take a look and respond to you. So you can kind of start dealing with those questions early on. Mm -hmm. um, so that, and I find that they're actually pretty quick in in dealing with those things uh so that that i think can be really helpful so i think a lot of the the things that the fda does have actually is um things that will help early on you know kind of pre-submission uh all those kind of background stuff to help build the the roadmap you know for the company and figure out where they want to go and, and what they're going to do um once once you get into the submission, it can can differ. It can get confusing or it can get like, yeah, like that's, it's something like, I, I also like, I didn't know that, like something I discovered recently, but the FDA, like their database and devices and what's regulated per each year, it's there. Like you can access it and you can see the letters, you can see the emails, it's public knowledge, which I find really interesting. And it's really good, like to develop like your product and then like uh, to develop a niche in the market or differentiator for your product. Um, also like you touched base on the pathway. So we talked about on the medical devices, class one, class two, and class three. I think the class three is the highest risk. Um, you mentioned a bit on the pathway, if you can just a bit like touch base on the pathways, uh, what is 510K, what is the PA, what is the de novo, the humanitarian you touched base on, um, the exemption, like if I just brought a product to the market, like what are those pathways, you know, like in a nutshell? Yeah, so um, with the, like, like I mentioned, with the class one, all you really have to do is you know, I say all you really have to do. It sounds very easy. It's easy comparatively, right? It's gonna be easy uh, with you. You know, you have you have registration, you have listing, you might have and you have some fees, you have compliant labeling, but you don't need to obtain any specific kind of clearance or approval. With a five ten K, what it is, it's a it's a clearance. So how that's distinguished from an approval, right, is well, first, you can only say that it's FDA cleared, you know, so you technically aren't FDA approved when you have a 510K, you're, you're cleared. So, and they will jump on you if you try to, to say FDA approved, then you're not because you're not. And, um, you know, they understand that, that that kind of idea of FDA approved really carries weight. Um, and they're not making the same kind of determination that they would make in a 510K and a PMA, right? Because the PMA, that you're actually getting an approval. So they're saying, like, this is safe uh, and effective as opposed to, like, uh, a clearance where they're, they're more or less saying you're at least as safe and effective as this other thing, you know, you're... You still gotcha. have that kind of, of comparison. So, um, and really that kind of just goes back to the way the law was written. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the the basis for for those things. Um, but what about yeah, the humanitarian and, pathway? You mentioned you 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 touched base on earlier. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, that would be at like a a very narrow exemption, and it would be kind of kind of similar in a way, I guess, to to five ten k. At least in that you'd be submitting documents to them, uh, requesting you know that they recognize that you have this exemption and that you're you know bringing this product only for this very specific limited purpose. Um, and then they could say likely no, but but yes or no from there, right? Uh, or or request more information and and you know that. But it's uh, like I said, you know I've been working on these things for like I guess now like probably like twelve years, and I've dealt with that issue once, uh, and they, and they did say no. It wasn't, you know, here in individually. It was when I was at the firm. You know, we were dealing with it, but they're like, you know, this is a very limited, you know, if you think about it, four thousand, uh, you know, a disease that's affecting a a, a population of four thousand or less was very. That's very rare. Out of three hundred fifty million, yeah, that's very rare. Yeah, like yeah. that's like zero point zero one zero something percent. Yeah. Yeah. So, also, um, sorry, go ahead. No, so that that's that's why I say it's like you know some of these things. It's very factually specific whether you know something could apply. I try to be realistic, you know, in in my assessments of things. I try to like, you know, uh, put my FDA cap on and think, okay, well, <laughs> what will they think about this? You know, I agree. I like it. I see what you want to do. I'm on your side, but, but you know, it's like when you have a friend and you have to to tell your friend, like, look, <laughs> I need to tell you the truth. You know, uh, so that yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And I think you also touched base on important point, um, which something also I wasn't aware of. Like, uh, FDA approval does not mean FDA clearance which are different thing. I was like, uh, I, um, I was attending one of the pitches from a startup and the founder was like, uh, we were asking them questions. And then they said that we, we said FDA approval and they corrected the person who asked the question. They said, no, it's a clearance. It's not approval. And there is a difference. <laughs> it's not the same thing. Like if you're in the space, it is. They, they know they don't want the FDA to. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, so let's say we talked about the pathway. We talked about the, um, also for people who are interested to talk to you, we're gonna uh, leave the contact information. They can, people can reach you, uh, re- reach out to you directly to talk about the ins and outs of each pathway and where their device falls. But in in, in a nutshell, let's say I, I have a device, I wanna submit the application. What are the steps of the 510K or what are the steps of the PMA? Are they similar? Are they different? What should I do first? Who should I talk to? Um, can you just like spot a light there? Yeah. So, um, you know, with both, obviously, you're going to have a lot of, of, you know, paperwork type type things. 510K, again, it's, it's a comparison. So you need to really figure out what what is our predicate device, you know? How are we the same as them? How are we different from them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, what's good is because everything's available on the in the databases, you know, you can see the uh, types of tests they have to do. So, you know, if it's touching the skin, they might have some kind of specific uh, biocompatibility test that they had to do, and that and they presented that. And so, you know, okay, we'll have to do that. One thing I, I did want to note about uh, 510K, which is really um, good, which I, I try to, to steer clients in this way is that at the, at the early stage, before you filed, you can, and you know what, um, what your product code is, you know, you can go to that product code page for, for your specific one. And you could see the different, uh, first of all, different types of maybe international standards that, 
that it would need to meet. So that's good. You can get an idea, you know, of, of things that you'll need to demonstrate with the FDA. But also, uh, you could see whether it's third-party eligible. The third-party review program is uh, something that the FDA had noted that they are phasing out. I don't, I don't know how quickly that will will actually happen. Um, but uh, currently, you know, there what you'll see is uh, either it'll say no, it's not third-party eligible, and what that means is when you have the 510K uh, prepared, which uh, you know, the FDA has a guidance document on, on preparing a 510K. It's, it's all very strictly formatted things. And then, you know, there'll be some device-specific uh, stuff that only pertain to you. So there could be a device-specific guidance that applies, and it's just considerations for that type of device. But then, you know, you'll, and then you'll have the testing. But really all of that goes into a packet. You need, I think it's three and then you, you send it either to the FDA if, mm -hmm. if you're going that route, or if, if you do a third party, um, if, if it's third party eligible, those, those parties will be listed in that um, uh, device, uh, the product code page. They'll say who's accredited to review it. How it works is you prepare the document and then you submit it to them instead of the FDA. You know, they're private companies. Obviously, you have to pay them in, instead of the FDA, at least. So, you know, that kind of offsets a little bit of, of their cost. They will review them. So one, they reviewed it in third two. party or you pay to the FDA? So it's, it's an either or, yeah. But, okay. I, you know, the third party, obviously, they're going to have a, a higher cost. But where they're, they're saving you is time. So, like, I had one that we submitted to a third party, and mm -hmm. they reviewed it and were able to, you know, put their stamp of approval on it in two weeks. And then it went to the FDA, and the FDA, within 30 days or so, say that they will, will clear it. But it was less, you know. I mean, I want to say it was a couple of weeks. So, wow. you know, from the time we had the paperwork prepared, you know, to then, it was, was done. And also they, you know, they're, they can be a little bit more helpful. You know, they're not going to tell you like, hey, put this or whatever. But if they see maybe there's a result of a test that mm -hmm. they think something, maybe a different test is needed or, you know, something like that, they'll say, hey, we need this. Okay. You know, they, because they know if you had that same thing come up with the FDA, they they won't tell you that. You it's know? gonna so take it, longer. I feel it's gonna become like amazing. Deal directly with the FDA. Take, one thing that happens with the FDA, and that's a, another thing I think uh, for people to be aware of, is that you know on their website they have a lot of kind of timelines as far as like submissions for 510k or PMA and how long they typically take. They will say like, okay, uh, we respond within I don't know, it's like 15 or 30 days for just to say like that we're accepting it. Then we have 90 days to review it or for PMA, 180 days to review it. The, 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 thing, with, the thing with that is though, <laughs> I, I would be surprised if you're, if you're able to actually find things that are, are really within that timeline because what, what they tend to do is they review a lot at this acceptance step Mm -hmm. So they just simply won't accept it. So the, the clock isn't really starting, mm -hmm. but you will submit something that is very complete, mm -hmm. uh, at least technically complete, but maybe for them, it's not complete enough that they would clear it as is. So instead of accepting and then the time running, they'll just say no, <laughs> and they'll keep doing kind of... That, that will add more time on the back. So there's... So, and I think it's it's kind of this thing that's intended to keep the timelines seeming very low, but in reality, like, and I had someone reach out to me recently with, with this issue, and I get it a few times a year where, you know, people are struggling because the FDA keeps kicking it out, and they're not, they don't really know why, you know, and it could be really frustrating because it's like, 
it seems like it's complete, but there's some kind of, um, you know, just issue with it. But the, the, the feedback that they give is, you know, very minimal, especially at that stage. So, um, so, it, 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 so it, the, the timeline can actually be much longer, much longer. Uh, yeah, they used so, to say like from beginning to end would be like could be like twelve to eighteen months, mm -hmm. at least on the five ten k side. Uh, that was like pre pandemic though, and then you know there was those years yeah. where it was all kind of like we don't know what's what's going on timeline wise. Uh, that's why I think what you know it's third party eligible and it it's financially feasible. It's it can be a really great route because you you know what the timeline is. Um, you'll, you'll have, you know, at least someone who's you're able to correspond with, you know, very mm -hmm. directly, you know, um, and it's, it's still meeting the same standards. It's not like you're getting around that, but you know, it's like you're, you can do it in a really timely uh, way uh, that that can be much easier. Um, Gotcha. So what I'm hearing is like, it's not only important to uh, involve like attorneys like you early on, also like if you're, you have to figure out if your device is third party eligible, if you have the enough funds, go through the party because third party now deals with the FDA and they know what they want and instead of dealing, it by, dealing with it by yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And then you, gotcha. I think like it, it kind of goes back. It's all part of that kind of like roadmap of figuring out like what, you know, how are you going to proceed in a way that makes the most sense for you, given your specific device and whatever the issues are, you know, that, that you have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like, if you have any insight, like, how does the FDA evaluate the safety and effectiveness of medical device during their approval process? Like what data they want, uh, what they look for, what are the results they are looking for? Do you have any insight about th these things? I, I would say it's very like, very factually specific, right? So depending on what your what the device is, you know, how, what the product code is, how is it classified, you know, all those things uh, often, like I mentioned, they will have device specific guidance that could be really helpful because that'll tell you, okay, these are the concerns that the FDA has with this specific device. Like for example, if it's something that's coming into contact with the skin for a long time, or mm -hmm. if it's something that is likely to be reused, or, you know, if it's something that's likely to be reused on different people, you know, there could be gotcha. uh, different um, concerns that because of the nature of the specific device that will, um, that they'll kind of lay out in guidance and then where they'll say, okay, you could overcome this with, you know, we want to see this type of test or uh, what you can also do, like I mentioned, is go into the database and then see like, from the summaries, you could get a good sense too of like what what other companies had to submit um, in order to, to gain the clearance. So then you would know, okay, here's uh, at least, you know, kind of an, an introductory type roadmap. And then you can also, like I mentioned, uh, you know, in reaching out to the FDA and, and having like a more formal kind of uh, pre-submission type meeting uh, but it's better once you really have some kind of plan uh, in place. And then if you have very specific questions, you know, so it's not like you could just kind of go and be like, all right, tell me what to do. You know, they'll, they'll point you to the guidance and say like, it's here, you know. Go and read but, it and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, go read it and try to figure it out. But, you know, once you kind of have done all those steps and identified like, okay, what's the issue with, with my product, you know, is it, you know, it, it could be anything really, but uh, figuring out what it is and then how are you going to address that difference? You know, is it something that's through testing? Is it something that's through labeling? Is it, you know, there could be different, um, different ways of addressing those things, but uh, that's, 
what's interesting about medical devices is it's the way they're regulated. It's very, you know, very fact specific with each product. Um, yeah. You mentioned like timelines and, and that what I, what I heard also, like you can expedite those timelines. If you have a third party, if your device is eligible for a third party, is there another way like to expedite things like extra fees or like, uh, I'm not sure. Like, is there another way? Like, let's say I have a device. I want to go jump in the market. Like I want to be the first in the market. I, I can't think of anything like that unless there's something else, you know, that would apply uh, already. Like, for example, if you have a device and then you make some kind of change that requires a submission, but not a full submission, you know, maybe something like an abbreviated submission, you know, uh, those types of things. But like, that would just depend on the, the device alone. There, there is no kind of just, you know, here's the cheap route, here's the express lane or whatever, you know, there, there's nothing, um, yeah, there's nothing like that. It, I would consider like the third party to be like the express lane. Yes. Um, but again, it's, it's only available to certain, you know, types certain of certain, certain product codes. And, uh, how do you think that, like, the FDA, let's say, like, lots of products right now, like, uh, in, in this time and age, is software dependent? Um, let's say I have, for example, a phone-like device that has a software that measures my blood pressure. So is the software regulation goes through different pathway and the medical device goes through different pathway? Um, or is it, like one pathway because like for example one of the things that i can recall is there was this imaging device that can put into uh without giving much details the imaging device can connect to a phone and through thermal through the different temperatures of different body organs it can affect if there is a malignancy in xyz organ so there was a device itself and then there was the uh, software itself that has to analyze those images. So how does the FDA look into this? So again, it's 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 hard to give like kind of a broad, uh, <laughs> you know, because it's like you know how like attorneys are, right? Or it's like a it depends uh, type thing, but um, <laughs> it, but it depends. So depends. You know, uh, it it very fact fact specific, right? So it depends, like, is this a software? Is this a, considered a mobile medical app? Is this an accessory? Um, like an accessory often is just regulated the same as the as a device, so it could be like at the same level. Um, or it could just be like exempt as a software. So it, it kind of is like, it really depends on, so there might be instances where I tell you, okay, so we will evaluate the software and the device here is mainly like transmission device where like it extracts data. So they they put more emphasis on the software itself. I I would agree with that. I think that that in, in that situation, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of give a, like, it, you know, because it is so factually specific. Um, specific to the type of device. Um, and you mentioned that, so, like, uh, FDA can do, like, uh, pre-submission meetings with founders and startups. Uh, is it. that, like, for example, like, in this situation, like, it's a gray area. I have this device, and also it's related to a software um, so can I just like email the FDA, contact them and to figure out what to do? You, you, you can, I think sometimes it's worth a shot, right? Um, <laughs> because you can get some kind of general information, you know, you could get pushed in the right direction. They could, uh, maybe send you a guidance that completely answers your question because often they'll have like examples and then it could, you know, put you right where you want to be, or um, they do have like a more formal kind of like, 
what am I type process where mm -hmm. there's a, a submission where you could uh, request the FDA to formally like classify your device. Like what is this basically uh, mm -hmm. that you could also do. The only thing is now they've done it. Right. So that's, that's what it is. And so that can be kind of, I think, I think helpful in a situation where you really can't get to an answer uh, mm -hmm. that you feel, you know, any kind of level of comfort about. I mm -hmm. think, you know, you have to be aware. It's like, like you mentioned at the beginning with the definition of a medical device and how it is broad, but it's construed, can be construed even more broadly. Mm -hmm. um, that, that a process like that, where you're just kind of saying like, okay, what are we, you know, it's like any kind of law enforcement, you know, they're not likely to say, you know what, we like you and you're not regulated, you know, even if that's, that's possible, you know, so you want to be, I think, I think aware of kind of how things are, are typically construed and, um, you know, and aware of the availability of these different types of filing, but using them, you know, in a way that is most beneficial, obviously, to you. Gotcha. Um, so usually in the lifetime of like the company, especially when you were starting early, funds are very, very important and like usually are limited in the early stage. Um, do you have any tips for startup founders who are just starting and they have limited funds? Uh, is there a way to make the navigating the FDA approval and third party bit cheaper or more affordable for early stage companies? Yeah. Um, you know, it, what's hard is what, what will cost you the, the most is probably testing that you need to do, right? So <laughs> like more so than, than probably anything else, everything else combined will probably be as much as, as that. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I think figuring that out early on, you know, what you need to do again, like going back to the idea of like the roadmap will kind of help to know, okay, like what do we need to do and what's it going to take us to get there? Because once you have that classification product code, then you know, okay, what's the appropriate type of filing we need to do? Uh, is there a device-specific guidance? Is there, um, can we pull 510K summaries, for example, and see like testing, like we get a sense of the, the types of things that are required and then can we go price those out? See how long they'll take, you know, cost for those. Uh, is it third party eligible? What companies are, are eligible? You know, can we reach out to them? How much is their uh, uh, review going to be? What's their timeline like, you know, and start kind of piecing everything together to get, to get a total kind of picture of what it will be. Um, sometimes that, that question does, does come up, you know, uh, for me with companies and I, uh, that's the, the problem. I can estimate, you know, my costs, I could estimate, I know the FDAs because they're, they're out there, you know, if they apply. Um, but the, those, you know, the labs and the other private companies, you know, it's, yeah, you can. it's all up to them. I agree. Do you have like in your mind like any examples um, uh, of devices and uh, associated like FDA costs without third parties um, in general? Like, and if you don't, that's fine. Like, it's a very broad question, but like, wh what budget I should think of if you have some examples? I I don't really. I mean, I can think of of one. Um because they mentioned it kind of like offhand that I want to say it was um, like uh, it, it was a product that did have a 510k um, low risk. Uh, and I want to say 
that they mentioned, like including testing, it was like around the fifty thousand dollar range. Okay. Um, no, I I don't know that one example though. Like I said, since everything is is really specific, I think that. So it yeah. really depends on the device. It really depends on what the device do, how much testing do I need, how much time the FDA will spend on evaluating the device um, and what class it is. So it's, it, I know it's, it's, it's a hard question, but just like it, a rough it, thing, Yeah, it's would... hard because you could just see how it could swing so, you know, widely in different From directions. one side to another. Uh, gotcha. And so you've, you, you, you've seen this process many, many times. And I think the best way of avoiding your mistakes is through learning from other people's mistakes. What do you think are the common pitfalls and challenges um, that startup face during the FDA approval process and how they can avoid this? Like what advice would you give? I would say definitely like starting early, you know, figuring out what it is, you know, what, what pathway is appropriate, what, you know, identifying what your challenges are, um, you know, how, you know, that are, that are particular to your device, you know, your specific interesting wrinkle, and then how are you going to deal with it? You know, start coming up with, with a plan for, for dealing with those things. And then, you know, pricing everything out, you know, doing all of those kind of background things that as early as possible, you know, um, and I think it's good, like, to identify, like, how something is regulated, obviously, and where it falls in the F big, giant FDA scheme, so that, you know, like, is this viable for us? Or is this even anything we want to do? You know, you can then know and say, okay, well, maybe if we had this difference, it wouldn't it would be much easier because then it would be considered this, you know? Those are the kinds of questions you can only deal with early on. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know? Um, just gotcha, gotcha. Sometimes so, it can be too late, you know? Yeah, I think the starting as early as possible involving the FDA, um, it's the best thing they can do. Uh, but. I don't think also like once you get the FDA approval or FDA clearance, uh, you are done. And my understanding is there are some post-marketing surveillance and reporting requirements um, for the FDA. Can you shed the light a bit on this part? Like uh, what are the things that we have to report back? What are the things we have to do post-marketing surveillance? So, and those, Again, it's, it's very specific, right? So the FDA will, and you will be able to find out from the early stage, you should know, you know, when you're, when you're uh, settling on the, the classification and product code, you should know, like, be able to figure out, like, what, um, what's going to apply to it, right? So what you're going to mm -hmm. have to deal with also after. Um, and then also in your, in your clearance or approval, you know, you'll have that kind of information like, yes, it's cleared or whatever, but it's subject to this. Um, so they would specifically know, but um, obviously you are going to have like always um, reporting requirements if there's certain types of uh, like complaints that you're getting, right? Mm -hmm. So product complaints, um, if they're very serious, then you might need to report them to the FDA. But if it's, you know, something minimal, then it might just be record keeping. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and depending on the, the company's role, you know, if they're the manufacturer or if they're the importer, you know, different, different parties could have different roles um, that they have to uh, be complying with to be meeting the, the regulatory requirements. So those are are all things that, you know, it, as soon as you kind of get that, that, you know, what applies to you, then all of those things kind of come together. That really tells you everything about how, you know, the, the FDA's regulatory framework will be working in your specific case. 
So it's, again, it's very dependent on your device. And then like the FDA will tell you, okay, so based on this and this and this, you have to report X, Y, and Z. That's right. Have you had any companies where they failed to report or failed to comply or things went south? Like, do you have any examples that comes to your mind? Um, no, I don't. Um, I think probably what you would see is if something like that is coming up, it would most likely be probably in one of two ways. Like one, maybe they, the manufacturer gets an inspection mm -hmm. and, uh, they, the FDA finds they haven't been doing, you know, what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, in that sense, or you have a situation where there's um, some kind of serious like public health emergency, right? Where it's the FDA is getting complaints of something very serious and it's coming up and they're seeing a pattern. Uh, and, you know, then it, it would be going in that direction. I haven't dealt with any of those, thankfully. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but now I, I feel like it's going to pop up. <laughs> Someone's going to call you tomorrow. FDA. Yeah, is... here it is. <laughs> Hopefully it doesn't happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Okay. Um, I know we are a bit over time, but uh, before finishing this, okay. So are there any myths about FDA approval you want to dispel? Are there any tips you want to give uh, startups and early founders who are um, in this process yeah um you know one thing you mentioned the the myths the the thing that i see a lot that is uh really it's, it's kind of weird that you see it a lot and it goes back to what we were talking about with the fda cleared fda approved a lot of times i will I'll get clients or I'll get something even with the FDA already got involved with enforcement or something. And it's so, uh, it's just kind of small, but the, it'll be where the company uh, says like FDA approved and they'll have like the FDA, the way the FDA uses like their logo on their website or on their packaging. You see it a lot. And uh, the FDA will come and they'll say like, you can't use our logo. You know, they have a policy that says like, even if you are cleared or whatever, like you're not allowed to use their official logo. You know, they don't like that. So just, it's a very easy thing to avoid, you know, it's in, and also if you're cleared, you're not approved, you know? So being very careful with the language that's used and not using the logo. It's a very, you know, it's very touchy for them. I think, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, 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 I watch a lot Shark Tank, and one of the like common things I see like on Shark Tank is like they they have the segments five seconds, ten seconds that they say there are companies that they are uh, claiming that they are Shark Tank products, but they are not. So check our website, and I think uh, I see. <laughs> It's, it's very similar. Like it looks like companies may say, okay, we're FDA approved that, but they are not. So not the, the bottom line is don't believe everything in the market. Not everything uh, says FDA approved. It is FDA approved. Yes, exactly. Even like I do that. If I go to, to buy something, I'll like, if it's like a device or something, I'll be like, let me go look this up and see if it's listed, you know, <laughs> like, oh, it's not okay. So or if they have clearance for this, because, you know, that's the other thing you and, and I do get this a lot is that you may see other products of the type on the market and you know they don't have clearance and you'll say like uh, well how come they could do that or maybe you don't know their their status and and I'll get this a lot where it'll be with labeling and they'll say well this company says this on the label and this company says that Okay, so that either tells you like that they, they don't know it's not compliant yeah. and nobody's, you know, there's just a lot out there or they do know and they decided that to them it was worth it and they didn't want to be compliant, you know. Um, neither of those things are, are what I would recommend doing, of <laughs> course, you know, but 
just looking to other products on the market isn't any kind of indication of how compliant your product will be, right? So copying other other people in that way without actually confirming like, you know, the status or what was cleared or um, that this language is, is allowed to be, you know, used on the labeling, those types of things. Like you have to actually check those things because there's a lot that's out there that makes it through. Um, or maybe it's, it's, manufacturer in the United States and it never goes through customs or any kind of, you know, check like that. And just here. So, um, so yeah, I I think those are kind of uh, common, common mistype things that I think (laughs) you see a lot. I'd like to hear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. And I think we are over time, but thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. For everyone who wants to reach Catherine, I will leave her email and the best contact information in in the description below. Um, And thank you so much for tuning in again. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Catherine. Thank you.